Hello and welcome to the New School HR podcast. This is episode 02, Meet the Team. In this episode, we'll be covering the following topics. Who is who, where to go for what, sit back and watch, do's and don'ts, and who the man. And this is in relation to meeting either the HR team or your senior management team that you've just inherited. So sit back and enjoy the show. So the first thing I'd like to do is take the opportunity to thank all 23 of my listeners. I don't know if that means that that's 23 people who downloaded it or just press play. But whatever you did, I appreciate you being a statistic at this moment in time. Looking at the number is much more than I anticipated it would be. And it's actually given me a bit more confidence, which I think is actually probably coming out in my voice today in carrying on with the show. So it's much appreciated. I have suggested that if there's any feedback or any comments or anything you'd like to see do differently, please get in touch, whether that's through the LinkedIn messages or leaving a comment on any of the posts that have been posted. I'll always try and take your feedback or suggestions on board. So meet the team. Now, the reason I've chosen to do this is part of the probation series that I've outlined, and I think actually this is quite a vital part. So episode 01 was around the interview process, and this picks up where that left off. So I know there's a bit in between around uh, the onboarding experience. Maybe you've had some pre-communication with some of your team prior to actually getting in the building, but I think the introduction and how you go about the first sort of four weeks and your interactions with both the HR team and your stakeholders is actually quite key in setting the tone for what will be your probation period. So the first thing to touch on is introduction. Now, I've been fortunate enough to be in the past part of a HR business part of the team, which has been refreshed a number of times, as well as the HR advisor team I was also a part of. So I have been introduced or have to introduce myself to a number of people over the years. Now, the first bit I would point out to people is that as someone who's being introduced to someone new, I don't really want to be told too much about why you're so brilliant or why you're so great. And I think that's quite key. And I understood that quite early on when I was a HR advisor. And therefore, when I used to do my own introductions, I always tried to tailor it to be relevant to someone who's new. So for example, I would say, hi, my name is, and I look after this area. And these are the current projects I'm working on. And that's pretty much it. And the reason I say that is because if I start saying what my strengths are, I don't actually know what was part of the interview process and why this person is here. So there's every likelihood there's something that potentially I think I'm particularly good at, they may be particularly good at. And I have seen that before where I've been introduced to someone new, they've told me all their strengths, and I've kind of sat there and thought, that's my strengths and are you going to take my project and potentially put a bit of friction between you know, me and them. I'm not the kind of person to kind of look at someone and think that, oh, no, they're here to take my job. But, of course, if you know that there's a project or something going on, you might be thinking, oh, well, my chance has got a bit slimmer. So I always leave my introductions quite basic, and I'd like it to be the same back. I think the other part about an introduction which does kind of, you know, well, I'll be honest, winds me up, is when people just kind of come and tell you about how great they are. Now, if you're so great and you've done all these amazing things, why are you here? That's, that's what I always think. Um, now, I don't understand if it's a promotion. That makes complete sense. Um, you've progressed in that, you know, great, that's good. But the people who potentially take a sideways step or a backward step, for me, unless you've got a personal reason, which I myself is the reason why I left a regional business partner role to go to a static business partner role, um, like for like and actually here I'm, doing more stuff so you know for me it's not a perceived step backwards but when I see people who have told me all these amazing things that they've done but actually coming into a role that's doing less but a bit more that doesn't make sense to me so you know I would try and say to people let's not boast about things let's let's ask let's ask questions of each other Um, you know I understand if someone wants to ask me questions that's cool I might have questions for them but I don't need to hear about great how great you are until I ask you, or until it's relevant. So that's something I always suggest. I think the other thing is, what is quite key with the introduction is to take the time to actually allow the person, the other person to speak. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, which, which person are you talk about? I think both. You want to allow the person the freedom to actually set a tone that they feel comfortable with. So I know in the past when I've done 
business partner to business partner introductions, some people have a set of questions and it can get quite intense because the, the tone is there. And I think, you know, they've tried to cut me off or jump in and it's like, well, you know, you've asked me a question, I'm trying to answer it. So just be mindful of that as well when you're speaking to people for the first time. We're at a point now where you've done your introduction and you've started to maybe head towards week one, or maybe week two, and you've started to be introduced to a number of people, whether that's the HR team or whether that's the stakeholders. So one of the things I always try and say is keep notes. And I always take notes of what people say. Now, it might not be when I'm actually with them in the room, I might not have a notepad, but I'll always kind of make notes somewhere. I personally keep Google Notes on a work phone that I have or a personal phone and I always keep key bullet points on there with tick boxes just to make sure it's something to keep refreshing in my mind. So try and take some notes of anything that stands out. You'll get a variance of different responses when you introduce yourself to a new team. You'll have people who will probably share maybe perhaps a bit too much, uh, but that's that's quite good because then if you got enough experience around you you can sort of gauge a little bit about their style or a little bit about what's kind of going on in their life sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming but you know I, I always try to facilitate people to actually tell me what they think whether that's about the job whether it's about things at home whatever it might be but the more you can kind of learn about people the more comfortable they feel the more easier it'll be to have meaningful and direct conversations as your relationships grow so that's quite a key thing. And the notes, I'm quite fortunate. I have a really good memory. The other thing is um, if I write something down, I can pretty much remember it and I'm able to then draw on that information later. And I think having something to always look back on after week one, two, three is good. And you can use that to make sure that you're implementing the right sort of approach to people as and when you're run, running around or bumping into them on the shop floor or in the office or wherever it may be. So that's quite a key thing for me. I think the other thing that you have to be mindful of when you're a new starter is you have joined a team. And unless that team is a brand new team, there will be what I like to call legacy. And I think what a lot of people tend to do is meet the team. And so say, for example, I'm a new HR advisor and I've joined a team. The first thing I'd actually want to know is what version of the team this is. And the reason I say that is when I became a HR advisor, I actually joined in what I will call version two of that advisory team. Version one was actually the ones that actually got out in the business and actually set a space for the HR team. And potentially they weren't the best. I don't know. I never met them, of course. But, you know, there's there's a lot of feedback. But we have to respect that actually if they didn't go and knock on the doors, uh, this was a regional role, if they hadn't gone into the region and actually at least promoted a HR function, we wouldn't have a version two. And I think I look at the business partner team that I joined, that was version three or four, the first business partner team I was in. And again, version three and four, there had been stuff done before. Whether or not we was a better version of that team, I believe that there's generations of teams and you have to respect what has happened. You have to understand what they actually did. It's not about knocking what they could have done better or what they haven't done. It's actually about taking what they have done, looking at what you can improve on or even what you can just take. So I think it's quite important that you remember that a legacy piece is not a negative thing. And actually, it's not about bitching or saying how rubbish the predecessor was. It's actually about embracing what positives they left in place because the reality is unless they didn't pass probation if they did they either had a significant amount of time where you haven't yet or they chose to leave for a promotion or something like that so there will be something worth looking at so don't bitch on the first team the next part about joining a team whether this is the HR team or the management team you'll be working with you need to find out who's going to be willing to support you. Now, this is quite key. And the only way I believe you can do this is by actually you yourself being someone who's going to be looking for answers and actually approaching the team if there's something you can't find. So I try my best to be self-sufficient. You know, generally a HR team will have a HR folder and generally they'll all be named. So it should be fairly easy to navigate. And actually, the only time you should probably need help is if there's discrepancies in how you might be using a policy so for example if you look at something contentious as 
investigations and disciplinaries, you may be wanting to know what the actual stance is. Is it a strict company where every single breach of the rule resolves in investigation, or is it a company where we actually take a proactive approach in investigating and realize that that is fact-finding? That's just an example. You need to understand who's going to be willing to help you. I find that when you look across the internal HR team, you'll probably have HR assistants who will always be willing to help. It's very rare that I've seen HR assistants who don't. If they don't, it's maybe a capability issue more than an unwillingness to help. So that's quite key to understand the capability of the team. I'm quite fortunate that I have an appreciation of most of the functions within HR or I've worked in those functions. So for example, I've done payroll, I've done scheduling, I've done ER, etc. So maybe more self-sufficient. And the other piece is that because I have an understanding, I can actually reference that when I'm asking the questions. So I think people maybe are a bit more responsive to me due to that experience. But at the same time, you do need to maybe as part of that introduction process, as part of that probation, put it out there what your strengths are or not and actually be quite comfortable in letting the subject expert support you. When you're trying to establish who is a who is going to be someone that will support you or not, the key is to allow them to actually answer the question as well, whether that's by email, whether that's by phone or whatever. If you don't give them the opportunity to answer it, they're definitely not going to help you anyway. Or if you're going to tell them how you could do it better or what you're expecting, again, are they going to help you? Are they going to be so forthcoming with the information? They might get defensive. So if you're asking a question, remember you're asking a question. That's quite key. And I think that leads me on to the next bit, which is that I think personally, I'm not really HR HR. You can probably sense that by the tone. And if I'm being honest with you, I think as someone who worked on the shop floor as a manager, team leader, etc., I think HR can really come across like pricks. Like sometimes they're just unhelpful. They don't want to listen. They want to tell you about what it is that's correct and all this without having the actual knowledge of the shop floor or knowledge of you yourself it's very much well this is what i say because i'm hr and i think that if you're going to be a prick about things especially with your external stakeholders from the hr team it's going to be very difficult to build those relationships so i work on the basis of actually trying to understand the business getting out there being on the shop floor being in the meetings that i can and just listening there's no point me coming there and telling them how to do the job if they've been doing the job for 12 years I might be able to support in terms of, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? This is maybe not the right way to say that or deliver that message. But I'm not going to stand there and tell them that this is unreasonable. You can do this or I expect this to be done by then when I haven't actually taken the opportunity to understand what it is they do. So don't be a prick when you first join. Don't try and tell them what to do because no one's going to like you. That's the reality of it. So I just spent the whole of section one telling you how not to be a prick. Let's move on to section two, which is where to go. And I don't mean go and fuck yourself. I mean, where do you go to get things? So the first thing is to understand where you really find the information. Yes, they'll be shared on share drives. But what I find sometimes is that some reports that you may need actually come from finance people or controllers or whatever it might be so when i say where to go it's about actually finding out the further information that you need that isn't kept by the hr team so the first thing you need to understand is the whole business structure and i think this is actually quite difficult it's not an easy task you get a organizational chart but nine times out of ten it's out of date because of the changes that happen or the other thing in some extreme cases is actually the con- the, the whole structure has changed anyway finding out who your actual support people are now this will vary across levels so when i was an advisor my stakeholders were my uh, unit managers i didn't really have anything to do with support functions other than being an aide so i did need to know who would potentially call on me um, but i didn't sort of need to go to them for anything specific as a business partner i absolutely needed to know who has what reports And the way I would do this is just by attacking someone who has the job title that looks relevant, which maybe sounds a bit obvious, but it's not always because you're going to hit some wrong people. And it's about actually having a confidence to say, okay, thank you. Can you point me in the direction of? And that's how I sort of navigate. And I'm quite fortunate that 
Nine times out of ten, I seem to get what I want anyway. I think the other thing to be mindful of is that when you have an awareness of what it is, the tools that you need that are from without outside of the HR team, be attentive. And this is why I always say about listening when you're new into a role. So listen to people because I've had examples where somebody has said something and I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, that's that's something I, I need. And it might not be from the person that you expect it to be. So I've been like, hey, you know what? Can you send that in an email to me or can you get me access to this? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah no problem. So while you're new, you can use that to your advantage. And when you hear something that you think you may need later on, just ask the question and there's going to be one or two answers, right? Yes or no. If it's no, that's just fucking someone being difficult. But if it's yes, then at least you've got a bit of thing there. And if it's no, I would say, well, who do I get it from? Or can you point me in the right direction? Or is there any reason why you can't give me that? Because there is also that piece where the business side might want to keep things from you because they're worried that HR can't see it. But I think I just kind of say to them, well, effectively I'm going to see it anyway so you might as well give it to me and we can review it together so just be mindful of that piece the next thing I always try to do is share what I have what I mean by that is when I'm sitting with my stakeholders there are many opportunities when you get into a new role where you can actually bring your own style in so I have a whole suite of reports built up that I use that are very useful for me and and the stakeholders that I've had and actually of course I've kept the templates who wouldn't, right? You put all that work into creating these amazing templates and formulas and all that. Just use what works. You have these tools. You have these things there. Share them with your stakeholders. I would always look for an opportunity to be able to promote myself without sort of saying, well, this is what I can do for you. So one of my tactics that I use quite often is if we're working on something that doesn't really make sense or is not really what my stakeholder is trying to get across, I would actually just use my templates, show it to them and say red and green. So anything red is a negative, anything green is a positive and uh, just let them work it out from there. So then if they get the message, they're like, there's two things that happen. So one is that, oh, wow, look at this. This looks really cool. The second thing is, oh, okay, that's not how I thought it was. So you're doing two things there. You're actually showing them a little bit of your capability and you're also showing them that they're being absolutely fucking stupid. (laughs) with some of the things that they're saying this is the point you know if you can capture those early moments within just you and your stakeholder this will go very far because they'll know that you're not there to show them up you're not there to make yourself look good uh, because it's actually just me and you that see it and it's about actually improving things and being able to present this to whoever you're seeking approval from or whatever it is you're presenting to the wider audience they don't get to see the fuck-ups. They get to see the finished product that you've worked to together. So this is pretty cool, and it's something that I quite enjoy doing when I'm when I'm new to a stakeholder or new to a role. The next thing I would say is about learning your surroundings. So this could be physically, as in terms of the building and understanding where your stakeholders are, whether that's regional, whether that's in a set location. You need to know where they're going to be. You need to know at what times. You need to know what your rhythm is. So... You know, as a HR professional, you'll probably have a set time, but you want to know where they are outside of that, just in case you need them. So, for example, I always try to work out what my key stakeholders' key meetings are, the ones that they can't get out of. So, for example, if I know that a Tuesday between 1 p.m. and 3 p.m., they have a forecasting meeting or they have a budget meeting, whatever it might be, of course I'm not going to bother them. And the other piece to know is that they might have to do some prep work. So I'm not going to bother them probably from about 11 o'clock that day because I want them to be able to facilitate this thing properly. And actually, if I'm being support to them, I'm going to be sending them information that they can use, not getting in the way. So this is quite key. The other thing is physically knowing where they're going to be. So if you need to rock up somewhere, which is something I did quite often in the regional role, uh, in a regional role, obviously, you have less access to your key stakeholders. But for example, I knew that one of my area managers was always going to be in this location on a Friday. I knew that another one of my key uh, sales managers is going to be at this location on a Monday and a Friday. If I'm chasing something, and actually we have the same office anyway, maybe I'm just going to go and bug them in person because that's how sometimes you get things. The other thing to know is where your shop floor is, which might sound ridiculous, but as HR professionals, I think we forget that we are responsible for a group of people, not just our key stakeholders. 
So I always make the conscious effort to walk around at least once a day. And if I've got a location which has two different shifts, obviously I try and work, work, uh, walk across two different times of the day. So this is also important because it gives you that visibility. And you want that from early on. You want that within your probation because actually, while people don't know who you are, that's when you get a bit of an honest feedback. And the other thing I like to do is actually not give my job title away. So if somebody asks me what my role is, I'll never say business partner. I'll actually just say I'm part of HR team and let them guess where they want to take it from there. Which maybe helps me because I'm not a traditional HR business partner character visually, I guess, um, which is cool. I guess that's changing ever more as we go through modern times in 2020, but I don't think people associate how I visually look or how I talk with that of a senior HR person. They do when they see the output. Let's just get that bit clear. But use that to your advantage when you're actually collecting data and actually trying to work out what's what in the business that you've arrived at. So the next thing... I want to talk about is sitting back and watching. Now, I know I just said to you about using the opportunity to promote yourself and help your stakeholder and all that. And that's exactly what I mean. Use the opportunities. So in order to use the opportunities, you need to wait for the opportunities. Not necessarily from a point of view of sitting back and doing nothing. Obviously, you need to do the bit that says working out the business, implementing stuff, all that kind of stuff. You'll generally have a list of activities probably when you start that people want to see you do anyway. But in terms of actually the business and how it operates and the culture, I always say sit back, observe. So for example, when I'm in a probation period, I'm not going to go to the first meeting and say, right guys, I'm the HR person and this is what we're going to do. That's outrageous because you're not going to do that within three the first three months unless you're really good, at which point you can come and do the podcast for me. But it's actually about understanding the behaviors, understanding the senior team that you're supporting, understanding the shop floor and how it works, understanding what people's gripes are, visually seeing what those things are. Because, you know, if you walk in with a mentality of I'm going to go and fix everything and I'm going to change everything, you don't even know what you're here to fix anyway, right? Yes, you get sold something in an interview. Yes, you get told something in your probation or whatever. But until you actually see that in person and watch it and actually see how it unfolds, you're not going to know what to do. I think one of the things that's quite difficult, though, as a HR professional is that if you have an ethos, which I very clearly do, if you see that ethos not being followed or you see something that's totally against what you stand for, it is quite difficult to stand back. And I choose two. And the reason being is that one of two things. I want to see what the reaction is. So, for example, if I see something that I'm not too cool with, I want to see how that person reacts, knowing that I'm there. So will they look at me and make eye contact and be like, you're what the fuck is going on here? Will they um, say nothing and sort of look down? Will they actually give it back a bit? And it's important to know these things because when you're looking at a culture, the only way you can change the culture is if you understand the culture. And you'll get that from sitting back and observing what is actually happening. That does not sound probably too good from a HR professional. But I do believe that obviously if there's something happening that is over the top, then of course I would jump in, of course I would say something. But that's never going to really happen unless you're giving out the vibe that you're accepting of it, which hasn't happened in my case. I think there is a point to say that there is ye old banter, which apparently doesn't exist, but the reality is it does. And you have to be able to understand what the mindset is and, and what the tolerance flow is. And the only way you see that is by actually seeing the actual reactions. And if there isn't such thing as banter, then why do people think it's acceptable? Obviously, you correct it when you see that it's not the right thing or it's not being perceived the right way. But you wouldn't necessarily stop the rhythm. If someone is talking about a standing joke, unless they're being ageist or racist or whatever... If there's no actual risk associated with what they're saying, if it's just something about, you know, uh, some mistake that was made or whatever and everyone's vibing with it and whatever, let's not kill the vibe, let's absorb it, let's see what they're doing. I don't care if that's controversial, by the way, if there's people out there thinking, oh my god, let's not worry about it. Um, yeah, there we go. The next thing is to be approachable. And I think us HR guys, yes, that's you, me and all the rest, we're not really approachable by default, unless uh, the previous HR person we took over was a happy bunny, in which case we will be and everyone will seek us out. 
But in general, we're not. And we have to understand that, that, you know, HR is a big thing in an organization. Uh, depending on the size of your team, will depend on how many interactions people have or not. But I know for a fact that when people speak to me at times, they are really happy to, or, you know, they, they really want to provide some sort of insight, or they want to share something with you. So you have to be approachable, because if you don't, you're never going to see what people's true colors are. You're never going to get the real feedback. So as an example, I am in a probation, well, I've finished a probation period now, well, hey, um, but I actually spent some time with a person who gave me a lot of feedback, literally an hour and a half's worth. And whilst I maybe pushed back on some stuff, because that is the individual I am, I'm not just going to sit there and accept that everything is wrong with the world, I did listen. And I did raise questions, not that that person knows that directly yet, but they will when we start implementing some different things. But, you know, it is about taking that opportunity to be approachable and have people have their say. At the same time, the approachable piece, and I, and I did touch on and say that I did push back, you need to do that in the right way. So it's not about, well, actually, I'm HR and this is what I say. It's about, okay, but actually, X, Y, Z, and being factual with it. And actually, if you've done the absorbing bit and if you've understood a bit of it and sat back you'll be able to articulate that so actually I was able to talk about things with this guy that he had no idea that I knew about bearing in mind that I started this new role in my kitchen you have to think about what it is you're listening to and actually what the response is because if you start saying for example that the whole senior team is a load of rubbish that's going to go back to them or if you turn around and say, well, actually, you know, this is what I'm going to do and this and that. Everyone's going to think that's what you're going to do. So be mindful about what you say, but obviously be in this set of ears. And I prefer to just listen and ask probing questions about what they're saying. That way they feel that the interaction is more aligned to what they're thinking or what they're trying to put across. And that's what you want to do. You don't want to overtake the conversation, HR people out there. You don't want to run the conversation. You just need to let them be open on a one-to-one -one level. And that will help us build relationships. The next thing to know is that not everyone is going to be open with you. And that is fine. You know, you might have people who are very reserved. You might have people that want to actually gain trust from you. Um, or, you know, you have to do something to earn their trust. So don't be upset if a senior person doesn't want to talk to you or a shop floor person doesn't want to talk to you. Just try and understand why. There might be a reason. They might have had a bad interaction with HR previously. For all you know, they may have just had a disciplinary rather recently. It's not necessarily you're going to know all 300 different people's files. You're not going to be told everything about your senior team within the first day. So be mindful of that. If someone's not willing to communicate with you, try a different approach. Or, you know, once you start settling in more and people have more instances and interactions with you that they're able to share with the rest of their peers, then maybe the barriers will break. So I have found that quite a few times that, especially in the regional roles where it was more difficult to get around, that people kind of got your emails, replied very promptly, but there was no sort of friendliness, if you like. Uh, it wasn't nicely toned. And that was because of, of a couple of different things. And the only way you cross those barriers is by getting to know that person, giving them the opportunity to know you, and that's not always going to be from yourself. So remember that your impressions and interactions with other people also could hold a bearing on how you build that relationship with someone who's a bit more difficult. So I know that there's, you know, again, referring to the regional team, we had some managers who just did not like HR, had no time for it, just felt like we was a burden, which is what a lot of people think of us. But actually, I didn't go to them directly. I, I sort of allowed them to do what they thought. And then when all their peers were saying, oh, well, actually, you know, this HR person's not too bad or actually this process isn't too bad or, you know what, actually this is much better, they then conformed and actually we built quite a strong relationship. So use this time to get people on board and those who are on board, make sure that you're doing the right things that you want to see happen going forward and you're giving them the right message. So the next part is my do's and don'ts. And I've condensed this down quite a bit because I realize that it is controversial and this is only my stance. So the first thing I would say is don't let appearances fool you. You don't know what someone is going through. 
is the first thing. So I hear a lot of feedback around uniform standards, and I understand for those who are customer-facing, you want them to look a certain way. But the first thing I always say is, well, how much uniform do they have? If they're doing a five-day week and they're working in a customer-facing stroke warehouse environment, if they've only got one polo shirt, what are they supposed to do? So let's think about that. The second thing is that, on the flip side, if someone is working in a not-so-clean environment because of the role that they do, and they look immaculate six hours into their eight-hour day, I'd be a bit concerned, wouldn't you? What have they been doing the whole time? So let's think about this. On the flip side of that, I've met people who are suited and booted and talk a really good game, but actually absolutely no fucking substance. Absolute, complete waste of time. So, you know, I always try and go by what the person says and what the person does, as opposed to looking at them visually. The other thing to bear in mind, not appearance-wise, but actually role-specific, is don't assume that somebody who is doing what you would consider a low-skilled job is low-skilled, or the other point, that they don't know their rights. So one thing I learned in London is you get people who actually are doing a part-time role to support studies or pay the bills or maybe they've got kids or whatever. And the cost of living in London is high if you haven't lived there. I'm not saying it's any different anywhere else. I don't really know. But I do know from my own experience that living and working in London is an expense. You know, travel cost is high. Rent cost is high. Council tax cost is high. So you might find people who are doing their second job with you and you don't know what their first job is. And one or two things. Yes, they might not be the full use of their full capacity or capability. But be mindful that if you piss them off, you might find the other side. And this has happened to me on a couple of occasions where, you know, I've assumed someone is a shelf stacker. And it turns out that they were a shelf stacker at night and in the day they actually were working in a pharmacy. That's a significant difference. Probably makes them more intelligent than I am. So be mindful of that. The other thing is this perception that people don't know their rights. Now this is more of a London thing that I found when I was in the regional role where people thought, oh, you know what, it's just this person. They're not going to do anything. And then bam, you get hit with this letter. Now they might not have written that letter, but you don't know who someone knows and you don't know who someone has as backup. So, you know, the old thing of Google, HR and whatever. Well, in London, you might find that somebody lives in a house with someone who's actually a retail manager, which is what happened to me. And that manager has gone through a whole management training piece and actually they're not prepared to let you fuck all over their relative. So let's be mindful of that. You know, if you don't know your people, don't assume and don't let things appear narrow-minded in your outlay the next thing is length of service and that these people won't change i get this quite a lot where people are oh, this guy's been here for 17 years he's not going to change oh this guy's been here for 35 years longer than you've been alive he's not going to change maybe he hasn't changed because you haven't taken the time to actually explain it to him or the other thing is you've allowed him to do the same thing for 35 years and never told him how to do it differently or trained him refresher trained or anything so he only knows one way and that's what he's going to do until somebody explains it to him i found i remember one time i had a team and i had someone who said to me that they are never going to use a handset because of their age and i said to them that's nonsense it's pointing and shooting. It's fun. It's like a video game. And they were like, well, I don't play video games. I'm like, well, you're missing out, love. So <laughs> what I saw with that was, you know, there was an apprehension, apprehension rather. There, was a, there wasn't an unwillingness, but they were more scared about if they got it wrong. So it's about identifying why someone wasn't, doesn't want to do something. What is their initial fear? And actually taking them on the journey. So yes, I invested my time in someone who would have maybe retired the year after but you know what it's about the inclusiveness and sometimes taking that time to explain change and get that person on board speaks volumes to the rest of the team because they actually see that you're in the journey with everyone not just those who maybe seem to be doing the most for you it's about being inclusive the next thing i would say is don't promise anything because I think I've seen it before where new HR professionals have come in and promised the whole world 
plus a chocolate chip cookie and a bucket of KFC and we don't get any of it. So I think when you start promising, there's a couple of things. One, your key stakeholders uh, are probably going to want to see that. Two, your shop floor colleagues are going to want to see that. And three, you as an HR professional, I want to see how you do it because I ain't done it myself yet. Building that expectation for me is setting yourself up to fail. I think for me, what I'd rather do is implement over a period of time something that I'm working on or something that I want to adapt or change or whatever get the buy-in as opposed to yes I'm going to do this I'm going to do that and fail miserably I guess I've never really done that I'm one of those under promise kind of guys over deliver not because I fall to that it's just that I would prefer to take a step back and and manage people's expectations as opposed to building something up that I don't even know if I can do I probably could do it so it's not it's not a piece of I don't think I can do it it's you know if I want to be in this role for a long time I want to build something meaningful and last for and I want to reap the rewards of what I've done here not just implement something and fuck off away from it and hope that it just you know lands and then it doesn't and you're having to go back and repair it six months later so that's that's the whole essence behind that the next thing is understand people are busy this is very key hr people right i think i touched on it earlier about knowing the surroundings where your people are what they're doing what your stakeholders commitments are these are busy people and if you're asking them to give you four hours a day five days a week You've taken how much of a percent of their time? That's not practical. We need to be self-sufficient. We need to be able to come up with solutions, not be a burden. So try to understand that. I think I see many HR professionals literally latch onto their stakeholders like a dog to a leg. You know, when you see those things in the cartoons and it's like, yo, let the man breathe. You know, the whole point is you're supposed to equip him, right? You're supposed to develop him. You're supposed to give him the opportunity to actually go out there and demonstrate something and people be like oh you know what that that hr person actually supported him do that that's what i aim to do i don't want them to be completely dependent on me i want them to look at me as a source of knowledge i want them to look at me as a source of advice or whatever and then seek me out when we need to so if i look at the relationship i have with my key stakeholders now you know they know where i am they don't i don't necessarily chase them unless we have something outstanding I know when I'm going to meet them. I know to prepare what I want to talk to them about. If it's something urgent, they'll know I contact them when it's urgent. You know, let, let's let people work and do the actual job that they're paid to do, not actually do our job and hold our hands for us. So the last part of the whole introduction process, I guess, comes towards the end of the probation period. And this is when your stakeholders know who is the man, which is me, by the way. So at this point, we want our stakeholders to know that you are their partner or you are their advisor or you are the person to go to for X, Y, Z. And this is key because if after 12 weeks they don't have that comfort or that belief or that trust in you, this is going to be quite difficult for you and you're not going to get that relationship on board because everyone knows that your probation is over and if you haven't got it they're probably thinking why the fuck did we hire this person as a stakeholder not maybe the hr team so this is very key they need to know that whatever it is from a hr point of view that you're there to support with that you are running that you are the one that they go to for that specific part so for example myself i'm a business partner if you're doing a change structurally, I'm the person you come see. Don't worry about going with your idea to your boss. You're going to come to me and we're going to run it through first. And that's what's currently happening where I am, fortunately. So I'm involved in some work. Uh, and we're looking at things. And this is where you start adding your knowledge in because you're now working on projects. And when you're working on projects, it's not about taking over HR people, because I've seen that as well, where HR people take over the project and like, well, this is what you have to do. This way. And You don't have a fucking clue what the actual business is yet because you've been talking the whole time. Add your input when you have to. So, for example, recently we've been working on a structural change uh, between two different teams and it's two different directors and they're going at it. And I just sit back and watch, I'm not going to lie, because 
I want to hear what it is they're going to say. I want to hear what their ideas are. And then I'm like, yo, but actually X, Y, Z. Because obviously, fortunately for me, I've got the experience. It's about letting people get there, letting people have the conversations, and then adding that value add, which is, in that case, I was able to say, well, this is how you can structure it in terms of the actual facilitation of the role, expectations, and bonus schemes, and all that kind of stuff. And actually, this is how your tier system would work, and this is how you'd implement the pay differences, and all that kind of stuff. That was a value add. Because they were just almost fighting each other. Not physically, but, you know, it was just a case of, well, my people, yeah, no one gives a fuck. We're here to get to a common goal. And that's where the value add is. That's where the HR resource part is. That's where the skill set is, is actually the collaboration piece and bringing those people on the journey with you. By now, you should have those people on side or the more stubborn ones should have almost like a plan of attack of how you're going to get them on side. So... They might not think you're the man right now, but you should have a plan to make them believe so. I had somebody say to me that I'm not going to last six months. So one of the things I said to them was, that's cool, because when I make month seven, we're going to go for a hot chocolate. At which point they were like, is this guy crazy? I was like, no, we're going to do that. I like mine with hazelnut. But it's about putting the message out there that you are confident, you've already got some sort of foot in the door, you've got an established thing, and actually, yes, I am going to be here. And if I'm not going to be here, it's because I choose not to be here, not because of you, you fucking prick. So let's be mindful of those who are not quite on board and not quite on the journey yet. So coming on to that, you need to find out who is on board and why they're on board. And there might be a magnitude of reasons. So I have people who tell me that they're on board with my journey because of my approach and how my willingness to coach them is something that they like, which is great. I have other people who are on board who literally tell me it's because of my understanding of business and processes. So you can have different people on board for different reasons. And it's about working out that blend. And that's quite important because you're going to have to keep that consistent throughout the rest of your journey with this company or the rest of your journey with that team because you might change things. Make sure you find out what it is that's worked. See if there's a way you can enhance it because sometimes, like for example myself, the whole coaching piece is a very natural piece for me. It's not something that I have to really put much effort in. So I know that, yeah, that's cool. That's going to flow. But something like understanding, I don't know, uh, a process. Well, I might understand one process, but there might be another 10 linked to it. So I have to be mindful that that might be part of my, uh, not development plan for, you know, uh, namesake, but actually development in continuing the journey with this business. So it's always good to understand what has worked and finding out what your percentage of involvement in that is in terms of what's the exert, exertion, is that the word? Exertion on that skill that this perceived knowledge or experience is on. Because you might have to learn a bit more to keep that going. Otherwise, you'll be people will lose faith in you quite quickly. So that's quite important. The next thing I like to do is celebrate success. And HR people, calm the fuck down. I don't mean your success. I mean the success of those around you. So I'm quite happy to not put my name on slides that I write. I'm quite happy to not put my name on things that, you know, someone gets a really good approval for. Obviously, if they don't, I put my name to it as well. Like, I have the joint combination, but what I'll always do is say, well, actually, you did that. Because I always take them on a journey where they've actually done the stuff and they understand what they're doing. And that, for me, is success. It's not about my success. I'm cool. I know why I'm here. I know what I bring to the table. For your stakeholder relationship building or your management team building, you need to let them have the moment. Yeah? Stop stop trying to take credit, HR people. No one gives a fuck. You know, we know what we are. We're a resource. We're there to support. No one wants to hear that you did this, this, and that. What they want to know is how did you arrive to that decision and what were the factors. And let me tell you something, HR people. You didn't arrive there yourself. Nine times out of ten, you didn't arrive there yourself. That's right. Take a moment to think about it. You did not get there yourselves. You had to get information from the business. You had to understand the business. Who told you about the business? Who gave you that understanding? Because you didn't walk in the door with it. So let the success go to who it should I can't be any more clearer than that and I think that's what helps me in my relationship building because you know I'm quite happy to stand in the back while someone takes all the applause and whatever that's what I'm there to do as HR professionals we're rewarded quite well we have different perks if you like that shop floor people don't get other people don't get so you have your thank you in other ways so let 
someone else have their moment. It's not about you. Once you start going on this sharing of success journey, the team that you're supporting in terms of the management team will then start to buy into the fact that you have something that they don't have. And that's what you want. You want them to understand that you're a different dynamic because you are not part of the business team. You are a resource that is there to support them. And they need to understand what the value of it is because if any good stakeholder that you work with looks at their P&L or whatever, they'll probably charge the fee for you and the rest of the HR team. And that's a key part, the rest of the HR team. The rest of the HR team, depending what role you are, so if you're an advisor or you're a business partner, you have the facility to actually justify the rest of the HR team's existence. And you, we need to understand that because the HR admin team, for example, will deal with directors, but they're not managing that relationship. They're doing an activity or a task to support them. So you encompass that payroll as well. You encompass those parts of the support function. And if they're getting the value from you, then they feel they're getting the value from them. And it becomes like, yes, HR is a tool that I need. It is very important. They need to understand what you bring. And sometimes, you know what? You're going to have to be the middleman between your own team and your stakeholders. Let's just do it. Let's stop being difficult. Yeah? I've done it for the HR assistants before when they're not betting with someone. And I have to sort of say to them, what's your problem, Mr. Director? Because you know what? They're actually okay. Maybe you're the prick. Or vice versa, you know, what's the problem? Oh, well, they're, you know, this and that. Well, you know, they do run like a 30 million pound leisure. You know, there's other things going on. So what would you rather they do? Do the sale and generate business, which keeps us in a role? Or would you prefer that they do that one signature, which you could probably do electronically? So that relationship needs to be managed as well. So you need to make sure that people understand the value of the HR team and that, I believe once you've done all of that, in terms of your stakeholders, you then need to make sure that you maintain a relationship with the shop floor as well, because I think we get trapped in a world where, you know, we walk into a branch or we walk into a setting and we're just there to get on with the task or the meeting that we have at 9.30 and we forget about the people that have been there serving the customers since 7 o'clock. So it's also key that the same relationship management I spoke about just now with the senior team, that you do that with the shop floor as well. Because you don't want the whole shop floor coming to you for a pay query, but you do want them to know that this is where you go and you do want that person who is doing the pay query to understand that that person is just as important. Because I can tell you one thing, if you look at the triangle of averages, there is more of the shop floor colleagues than there is of the senior team then the HR team, and if they're not on board, that message spreads a lot quicker. Now, hopefully this is all basic stuff. What I am hoping is that when you're listening to this podcast, you're understanding a bit more of the methodology behind it, and I am being quite blatantly honest in saying that I still believe that HR people can be a bunch of fucking pricks. You know, let's let's stop it. Let's stop getting up our fucking selves because we're no better than anyone else. Yes, you might have a CIPD, But unless you've got a level seven, there's probably people that are working in the shop floor that have the same level of education as you in probably a more wider field or specialized field. So just shut the fuck up and get on with it. Let's just drop it. Let's just drop the ego. Let's just drop all of the HR is this and that because that's the only way we're going to change things here. So you've started to add value. You've got people on board. You've got a plan for those who are not on board. You understand where you're going. You know where to get things. You're now officially welcome to the team. And that's a really good sense of achievement for me personally. Being able to walk around freely without the fear of being challenged or approached by someone who's unhappy or whatever. Knowing that people know how to approach you constructively. Knowing that people are going to support you by giving you the reports. Knowing that you're able to give the business something back and facilitate you know, better practices better understanding, better way of presenting. You know, one of the things I like doing is making sure that business cases are relevant. All these things become a lot more easier. Asking things to be redone the 17th time by the same manager becomes easier when you've done a proper introduction, they bought into you and they understand why you're doing it. You know, I do have this stance of letting people sort of make mistakes and learning from it as long as there's no risk associated with it. And that does mean that there is a lot of, you know, what the fuck are you doing, mate? Just use your common sense and do this again. And it is about having the ability to do that, 
to be able to have those conversations and not be told, oh, the HR guy is swearing or the HR guy doesn't know. Because you build a safe environment, which is what I referred to in episode 00, the safe environment where you and your senior team can express yourselves freely and that becomes a safety zone. So all the frustration and all those kind of things happen in that safety bubble. And the team who are doing the doing get the better bits. And that is how I personally introduce myself to the team. So we've got to the end of episode 02, meet the team. So if you're still here, I'm very grateful that you're still here. Um, hopefully, and I don't know how long it is because where I'm recording on shows it in bars because it's a music app, uh, garage band on the Apple format. So I don't know how long this has been, but I'm assuming it's more than half an hour. Uh, so if you're still here, that's really cool. I appreciate it. I hope you've got something out of it. I did give the option of having feedback and suggestions in the comments and perhaps even having questions to answer. As I've only had 23 uh, visitors or whatever it is, and we only have about 150 followers on LinkedIn, that's probably why I have no questions or feedback or suggestions. But if you're listening to this and you do have some feedback or suggestion that you want to give, please feel free to do so. Um, this is only the third podcast that I've recorded in my life. This is only the third time I've done one of these uh, sessions of recording in its entirety. So I'm still learning. Um, the tone, you know, I know there's a lot of swearing. I know there's a lot of maybe, you know, anti-HR. But I did say in the description that I am unconventional and I am here to do something different. And my career has gone from where it has gone over the course of 15 years through me being the same person I was when I started 15 years ago. So for me, it works. I'm going to keep doing it the same way anyway. I just want to show people that there is an alternative method of being a HR professional. There is an alternative way of thinking. And this is not in 2020 held by the books that you're taught from. Um, I did my CRPD without looking at a book. And I think that's very evident in the podcast you've listened to. So please feel free to give me the feedback. I'm not going to promise to change the tone because I want to do something different. I want to be myself. I want to have that free platform. What I also want to do is if there's people out there like me or you think you're like me, but you're too scared to be like me, be like me. It's cool. You'll be okay. You'll get somewhere. And, you know, let's enjoy the next working week. Let's have some fun. Let's have a good weekend or good week if you're listening to this on Monday and crack on with it. Have a good day, evening or night and I'll catch you on the next podcast. Thank you.